Welcome to Being Human. This week's guest is Jan Tuton. He is the president of the French Chamber of Commerce in the Netherlands. He is also CEO of Econocom Netherlands and a mentor to startups looking to scale. Jan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for hosting uh, me today, Richard. A pleasure to be here. Uh, no, it's a, it's a delight. And the two topics that we, as we, before we go on the show, we, we talked about going into today is your experiences as a leader and, and the coach leader role or coach manager role. I'd, I'd love to get your perspectives on that. And secondly, your experience with moving towards remote working, the challenges there, what's, what's emerged in, in, in doing that in your, in the, in the places in which you've worked. I hope we have three hours ahead of us. That won't be enough. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll try to make concentrate, of course. Right. Well, I mean, should we start with the remote working for you? Yeah. When did that start for you? Where and, and what were your, your sort of first lessons learned from that, from that shift? Yeah. Uh, one of the, the key driver for remote work in my organization is to promote innovation. And I like to associate remote work and innovation, uh, especially when it comes to uh, corporate organization where people are used to be every day at the same office. Uh, promoting remote work is, uh, is, is changing the game on how people uh, interact with their company. Um, and it triggers innovation. What, what, what do I mean by triggering innovation? Uh, I believe that when you're in a routine and when you uh, go every morning to the same traffic jam and then to the same uh, coffee machine and the same seat and the same colleague with the same joke, uh, <laughs> it's, it's nice. But after a certain time, it might also put you in a mindset, which I call, I call the cruise control mindset, where this routine has uh, the disadvantage to uh, kill uh, innovation. Um, where, uh, by opposition to that, uh, your week is made of, uh, uh, driving or going to different places, meeting different people, having different uh, working environments. Uh, this, uh, will definitely put you in, uh, in the driving seat again and, uh, bring you some different, uh, perspective on your company. Uh, we recall, for example, now I'm, uh, I'm from a co-working space in the middle of Amsterdam. In fact, my office is in Utrecht, but today I decided to work from a co-working space in the middle of startups uh, to be triggered by uh, this complete different uh, atmosphere. Uh, okay, and and so it, so what's your? I suppose what's your evidence for that, right? If I'm playing the skeptic here, uh, have you have you seen examples of where something different has emerged when people have worked in this way? Yes, yes, definitely. I have, I have, in fact, myself, I have four, um, steps of, uh, remote work, uh, that I, um, apply to my organization. The first step is, uh, within the same office is to be able to change location. So, um, it's what we call a flex desk. It's quite, uh, known as a practice, but for companies who don't apply it yet, it's a good step forward because it forces people to be, uh, digitized. And to be able to work from any place. So that's the, the, the first uh, stage to make yourself ready to work outside of the company by, uh, first of all, being to work, being able to work from any seat, uh, within the, the, the organization. 
the next step I promote to my team is to work from uh, their suppliers or their customers. So when you have a, a customer or supplier visit, just stay there. Ask them to be able to work from there and then uh, see uh, the, your supplier or customer from a different angle. As well as I invite always suppliers and customers uh, to work from there after meetings so they can better feel the, the company. Uh, the third step is what I'm doing today from a co-working space. So don't go to the office, go to a co-working space and uh, work from there in order to be inspired by a completely different environment. Um, and the fourth and last is uh, you're traveling for business, you're traveling for holidays, stay there, stay there two, three, four days a week more and work from there. Work from there. And even if you're on a different time zone, you can even bring the benefit of having a 24-7 uh, running office uh, by uh, working uh, with your colleagues, but uh, on a different time zone. Uh, and if you listen carefully, I did not mention home office. <laughs> uh, and on purpose, I don't promote home office uh, because I believe that home is not a place to work. I believe that... Uh, uh, to deliver some work in a good work environment than the home office. Oh, that's it. Okay. <laughs> so I'm, I'm <laughs> I think you're at home at the moment, <laughs> exactly. Richard. <laughs> I'm in trouble, right? Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> and what, why is that? Well, I suppose uh, let's come back to that. Actually, the first thing I wanted to ask as you were saying that was what's the most exotic location then somebody's taken you up on that and work from, from the holiday? I have had uh, people working from um, um, uh, people working from Curacao uh, in a beach house on Curacao. It's quite exotic, uh, and then it can be it can sound normal for some people. You know, I'm, I'm very much connected to uh, digital nomads or location independent entrepreneurs. For them, it's it's what we are saying now is so obvious that uh, why, why, why are they talking about? It's, uh, it's their life. Uh, but for a lot of organizations uh, to have the ability to let go and to leave people work from uh, uh, far away or from a holiday destination, this is something uh, that is um, not that obvious to implement and to accept, especially for management. Management is used to have uh, people on the work floor and to see them uh, working. Um, which is a wrong assumption. It's not because you're at the office that you work. Okay. And, and have you, um, so have you experienced resist? Cause you're the you're CEO within the Netherlands. So I guess from your perspective, well, I suppose the first question is, did you have resistance from anybody more widely in the Econocom group when you started to do this or did you have free reign to, to begin implementing this? Well, surprisingly, the resistance I have is from uh, my manager. So, so the people, uh, my mm. management team that again are used to uh, have people uh, at the office. And one of their first comments is to say, okay, maybe it's possible for a few functions, but most of our people can't work remote. They have to be at the office. And in a way, it's true. I think every job has, in fact, different components in the job based on the activities and some of them can be done remote and some of them have to be done at the office. So in a way, uh, the resistance of managers by saying uh, the jobs that people do in my teams can't be remote 
they are true uh, to a certain percentage of the job description. But there's always a part of the job that can be done remote. And this is where the discussion starts. Okay. And 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 what do you why why do you think they mainly resist that? And then what's your response when you get strong resistance from you know, apart from the part, you know, so once okay, we accept that some of it has to be done in the office, but for the rest of it, what's the resistance and how do you respond to it? Well, the the belief is of course um uh, when you give people freedom, uh how will those people use this freedom? And we very often have the tendency to believe that they will use it the wrong way. Uh, basically, if I ask people to work remote and work from home, the first thought is that they're going to be behind a PlayStation or they're going to be doing the laundry or taking care of their kids, but not working. And this is a wrong assumption. This is a wrong assumption because uh, we always underestimate um, how people feel responsible when they get freedom and how most of the time they even commit more to the job when you give them the freedom to commit to the job. And that's, that's a true observation I have that, uh, um, these are much more mature that we tend to think in terms of, uh, uh, uh caring and cherishing the freedom we give them. Right. Yeah. And and some people, I, I guess, resist by saying, well, not my team. <laughs> yeah, go to the next door, next office. Maybe he can, but my team not, uh, of course. Um, and in this case, you have to have ambassadors. So you have uh, to uh, take a few pilots and uh, offer to try with a few employees uh, to test if it's uh, really possible or not. That's one. And second, what I always uh, try to achieve also is to look at examples of uh, remote work that is already existing without seeing it. Um, one of my concerns is that remote work is mainly, is, is, is the focus is on the output. So you don't see how the people do it, you see the, the results. Uh, where uh, office-based work is mainly based on I want to see how it is being done and I want to see the result. So the step to make to go to remote work is to focus on the output and to forget to see what's happening uh, in the middle of the, the funnel. And then when you say that, you can look around in the organization where do we already have focus on the output. And I give the example of salespeople that are... Uh, um, out to uh, bring business in and uh, we give them targets of millions of millions that have to be reached so we give them the full freedom to be out in the field and to reach those targets that's an example of remote work uh, but even further you have suppliers like accountants uh, auditors uh, payroll management those people bring uh, some activities for your company and you have no clue how they do it in how many hours uh, with how many people. No, you just want your payroll to be managed. That's it. I would give the example of a parcel company, like give the a box to be delivered uh, from A to B. You are not asking, okay, uh, what will the, be the brand of the truck? Uh, can I have the CV of the driver? What <laughs> will be the... the 
the road uh, that will be taken uh, will it be by plane or by boat and no you just want you just want this box to be delivered at a certain time at a certain location how it's going to happen that's their problem this is remote work in a way so how can you make the bridge between all the existing focus on the output that you have in your organization and to bring the same mindset to the things that are not uh, addressed the same way with the consequence to give the freedom to the people to uh, have the freedom to uh, work on the throughput as they want, as long as the output is being delivered. Right. And I, I'd actually never thought of that, but yeah, you're quite right. We do it all the time. We, we trust without physical monitoring in m many aspects of our working life as, as leaders or as, or just as, just, just in, in many different roles. So why, why should we trust our own team any less? Fair point. You trust more a supplier that is focusing on the output than your team. So right. that's, that's the, the, the journey, uh, that has to be done uh, here between the, uh, to start to be uh, remote work ready. Right. Are there been any examples like that where people have got through this hurdle and they're saying, okay, you know, I trust my team. Uh, they're, they're working remotely. They're, they're working in the, in the Caribbean this week. What? What, what are the typical, I suppose, issues that start to emerge when people have fully, fully made that shift? Well, the, um, first of all, you have a uh, pure uh, legal issues. Like, uh, what is it? Is it holidays? Is it work? How do you report those days out of the office? Um, when it comes to insurances, if someone has an accident, uh, during this remote work, uh, is it uh, the insurance of the company that is covering these people? Or is it the private insurance because it's a private slash business trip? So it raises some uh, uh, concerns in terms of um, a pure legal frame, how to, to frame it legally. I don't have the answers, unfortunately, uh, yet on that. Um, but I'm working with some consultant to, to help me to find some answers. Uh, that's one. And... Um, Next to that, what is a very uh, positive upside is that um, it's a way to keep talents. It's a way to uh, re retain talents. Um, in a way, what I want to offer to people is to start to oppose or to have conflicts between their work life and their private life. Um, I see a lot of people who uh, have a lot of dreams in their life, uh, but they don't make it happen because they, they believe that, uh, it's not compatible with their work. And it can be. I have a colleague uh, who mentioned to me recently, yeah, I have a, someone in my family I appreciate very much that this person lives in Thailand, but uh, we have never have time to see each other. Well, Go there, go there a week and work from there. You, you will be on a different time zone. You have your working day. So I want you to do your work during the day, but on a different time zone. So it's good for us because you go on working uh, as we go to bed. Uh, and in the evenings and the weekends, you will be with your family there. So uh, it's a win, win, win situation. 
just go. That's 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 a concrete example. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Um, you you might be interested in the episode we did. Uh, well, with a couple of people from uh, a a company here called Propellernet, and uh, they one of the things they do when they hire people is they have dream consultations with them, where they get clear <laughs> on people's dreams. Uh, yes. And then part of Love the it. role of the company is to have them fulfill their dreams, like whatever they are. Um, and they have this. Uh, I mean, I mean, I, I really love this uh, this approach, which uh, as a company, if you can contribute to uh, to your dreams, and I will give you a, a personal story. This is one of the, the starting points. I've I had always had the dream to uh, to cross the Atlantic on a sailboat. I'm a sailor and I love sailing. And uh, Atlantic crossing is something that was on my list, uh, but it's like three to four weeks minimum of sailing. And you have no connection. You're really out of the blue, out in the blue. <laughs> and, uh, I didn't, and I had the opportunity to, to go for a sailing trip. I was invited to, uh, to do it, but it was in the middle of the closing of our, uh, of our book of our year, the, the books of the year of 2017. And, uh, I didn't dare, um, uh, going to my shareholders and say, guys, I'm going to disappear for four weeks as we are in the middle of the closing. Uh, so I went to one of my coach and I say, how can I uh, ask um, my shareholders? How can, how can I trigger them to, to accept it? So we worked on a lot of components and he has helped me a lot to realize that by not being there, by not being present at this specific moment, that will be my team the room to take them some responsibilities uh, without having any backup because I will not be there to say yes or no. It's a good or not. They will have to do it themselves. Um, so with that in mind, I went to my shareholders and I said, guys, um, I have a, a very special way to test the, the empowerment of the teams and to test who's going to be my successor. Uh, I'm going to disappear for four weeks uh, at a high season moment. And I'm going to be crossing the Atlantic on a, on a, on a sailboat. And one of the shareholders said, uh, Jan, if, if you don't do it, we fire you. And I think that was a very, very good answer from them. And that was a complete eye opener for me that dare to ask your, uh, employer or your, your shareholders or dare to go to them and to share your and to share how these dreams can be compatible with the uh, strategy of the company. And, and we have the tendency to believe that it's, it's never been the case. It will never be the case. Uh, but trust me, I hear more and more examples where uh, companies take the challenge and accept the challenge to mix their strategic goals and fulfilling the dreams of their employees. Yeah, it feels like it's a, a, an emerging phenomenon, uh, right? It is. It is. Yes, yes, and I believe in it. And I, I, I think it's about uh, being successful in your life uh, as a CEO, but also as an employee. That uh, your employer uh, gives you uh, the room, maybe sometimes the resources, to achieve your dreams. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And this this example I mentioned, uh, one of their clients was a travel company, and this guy had a dream to go. Uh, watch the rugby in, in Australia. And so they pulled some strings to get him and his family cheap tickets to do the flight to Australia. And so the whole right. company kind of coalesced around this guy's dream to watch the rugby and it, and made it happen. 
that's perfect. You you can get so much out of it, so much. And you can and you can just without being in their company, I really could get a sense of what that must have done for the morale of the company. Knowing that I'm I'm with a company that helps this kind of thing happen is I can imagine is uh, is 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 extremely motivating. Yeah, it is. It is, and it's about talent retention because, of course, that can be part of your talent retention program. What are what are what are your talents, and what are the dreams of your talents? Let's make those dreams happen so those talents will stay. Uh, that's good for the, uh, of course, for the uh, employee brand awareness of the company. Uh, that, uh, of course, people will talk about it on social media. There will be noise about it. There will be some. Uh, 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 awareness about the company and the way this company is uh, treating its employees. Um, there will be also uh, an, an effect internally that uh, more people will want to uh, join the program. Um, so it's it's it's. We have the tendency to think that it uh, will be damaging the company because people will not work and will not focus. But again, you give freedom, you give attention. And this attention is rewarded by more commitment and more um, uh, more belonging to the to the organization. Mm. We we had a uh, an expert on the show called Lizette Sutherland, who's expert uh, in remote working, uh, Dutch, in fact, <laughs> and she she cited some research that suggested that there was an optimum that. Five days a week remote was uh, not as good um, as two days a week in the office and, and three days remote. So, so she was suggesting that either end of the spectrum was suboptimal, but there was some optimal in the middle with with an amount of FaceTime. What, what do you say to that? What is um, important for me is uh, what is the office uh, designed for? And I believe that an office space today is, uh, first of all, a, a good parking or a good commuting, so easy to access. Then uh, a good um, facility to welcome people, a good coffee, a good lunch uh, environment, uh, the, the sense of hospitality. And then good co uh, collaborative facilities, so meeting rooms uh, with with the, the good platforms to organize collaborative uh, uh, meetings uh, with people on site, but also with people remote. And that's it. The rest uh, can be done outside of the office. Uh, so I'm talking about uh, doing your emails, doing your reports, uh, uh, doing calls, extra. But I believe those three components are key for the, the office place of today. And, uh, this with the drive that when you have a great, uh, workplace like the one I described, then people are happy to come to the office because they will have, uh, a nice collaborative experience. Uh, and then, uh, this collaborative experience is, uh, the way to keep, uh, the people, uh, connected to the company, uh, culture. Uh, so I believe, I, I tend to believe the same as what you just mentioned. Ideally, it's one to two day a week at the office to have two, three, four meetings about uh, working in teams on specific topics. 
in this great environment and then split again and work from holidays, uh, co-working space, customer suppliers uh, to do the things that you don't need to do with your colleagues. Right. But, but this implies to rethink the workplace. This implies to rethink the office. Um, I'll give you an example. The office, uh, we have redesigned our office recently. And uh, when you arrive, uh, you have a barista that welcomes you and uh, gets you uh, one of the best coffee you had ever. Uh, so that's that's an example of a hospitality. Then, then you feel, you know, welcome in your office. Right. And I guess the money you save on desk space, you can invest in baristas. It's much more efficient. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Right. So it's about hospitality, welcoming a place where people can collaborate. Yes. Yeah. And a place where you can welcome, yeah, welcome others, I suppose, visitors. Of course. Yeah. 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 So it's, uh, mm. in fact, it's, uh, I, I call our office. We have two offices in Holland. We, I call it our hubs. So it's two hubs hubs for the ecosystem. So it's a hub that is open to all the players of our ecosystem, employees, suppliers, uh, customers, um, anyone that uh, is uh, with us in the journey is welcome to uh, work uh, from, from, uh, from our office space. Yeah, fascinating. Again, there's a lot of parallels with 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 a couple of other guests uh, and this idea of a, of a porous, porous space where it's a a meeting place for the broader ecosystem, friends of the company. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah. The friends of, yeah. 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 No, I, I love that. I love that idea. And, and, and much more in keeping with, you know, who we are as human beings. I mean, we, if you think about the other spaces in our lives, we don't put these really hard demarcations on exactly who's allowed across the, the threshold, right? In the way that we do often in offices. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, it seems a much more more in keeping with our, our nature. Yeah, you you mentioned earlier that uh, you don't agree with working from home. Yeah, up, please. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I, I think that um, working from home uh, again, when it comes to the resistance I have uh, from the management about remote work, uh, managers pitch. When they picture their employee working from home, uh, they directly see them not being productive. They see them being uh, triggered by the the, the tasks uh, of a household, uh, or even though uh, again playing on a PlayStation or uh, or doing grocery or taking care of the kids or whatsoever. Which again, I think is. Um, uh, something that I can cope with as long as the output is there. Uh, if you want to, from, f- let's say, three to five, uh, spend some time with your kids and then uh, from five to eight, uh, be back to your work, it has no impact on the rest of the team. I'm fine. No worries. Uh, but it's more about, um, again, what, what I want to promote with remote work is to, uh, is to have other experiences. Uh, in other working environment. Uh, and this is not happening at, at home. That's why I insist on um, working from a co-working space, working from a customer, a supplier, uh, because this remains work environment. 
uh, where you uh, will uh, be in a working atmosphere, but is most of the time different from your company. Uh, and you will discuss topics with people um, that can be very basic, but for example, tools. You know, you will be next to someone in a co-working space uh, using a great software or a, And you say, what is this? Ah, this is, this, this is about productivity. Oh, nice. And then you, you bring back an idea of a, of a new tool that you didn't think about, uh, for example. Uh, and much more examples of, of connections I've done myself in co-working space to, um, to, to do business, uh, with other people, uh, only by connecting there. When you're at home, you're isolated. You're really isolated. Um, and, and you again, it's almost like being at the office. So if people consider that remote work is I'm at the office and I'm at home, then I don't reach my goals. My goals are to put people in a new setting, in a new environment, to experience new perspectives about work, still about work. I see. Yeah, I can, yeah, that's interesting, that vision of how similar working from home can be to working in that cubicle. Yes, definitely. Yeah. 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 I, and I insist on the fact that, um, nowadays, uh, co-working space everywhere in the world, you have co-working space. Uh, so it's quite easy. Instead of commuting to your office, it can be an hour or quite, quite impacting your day. You can commute to a co-working space, which is like five minutes walk or bike from your home, but still you go somewhere. You, you, you dress. Up, you take your computer, you put your mind out of your home and you, you put your mind in a working mode, uh, which is, um, I personally, I can't work from home. I have difficulties to work from home because I don't find this environment that I need to, uh, to, uh, to work. Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the things I will say in, 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 uh, in defense of working from home, from my perspective is that when there's nobody in the home, I find that when I need that distraction free time for deep work, then then it can provide that and actually a cafe or co-working space for me personally i can find the music and the bustle sometimes just too distracting and mm -hmm. i need co to cocoon uh in a way that often i can't achieve in an office uh but i can achieve at home if i turn everything off right yeah yeah that's uh i like what you say uh i've seen some um questionnaires recently about people and they were asked uh, sorry about productivity and they were asked uh, please rank the places where you are you have the most productivity and guess what the office was at the bottom it was one of the last place where people say yeah I can be productive the office was one of the last one interesting yeah and uh, we had a guest uh, Theo Componole who uh, talked about he's done a lot of research into um, into the mind and particularly research on single tasking versus multitasking. And of course it's, it's pretty well established that we, we can't multitask. Um, and that we lose a lot of resource and energy in, in task switching. And the problem with the, mo the modern office is we'll start on something and then somebody will ping us on the, on the shoulder. Um, we'll get distracted by somebody walking. It, it's very, um, disruptive for, for deep working. Um, and then when you add into that all of the electronic disturbances, it's just very difficult for, for human beings to be productive in a, in a modern is, office with modern is, tools. Um, I considered recently that there there are 16 ways. I have 16 doors, doorways to me. 
if I if I sum up all the tools uh, and all the ways I can be uh, called or contacted, I have 16 of them, like like a WhatsApp, LinkedIn, uh, Messenger, uh, Instagram. If you list them all, 16. How how to manage 16 doorways? It's it's impossible. Right. And then you have this, uh, this, this FOMO, this fear of missing out that, uh, I go to Messenger and I, okay, I'm not up to date on Messenger. I have to answer this people. And then I finish. Okay. I'm clean on Messenger. Now I go to Instagram. Oh yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm clean on Instagram and then I go to WhatsApp, but then I'm back to Messenger. And in the meantime, I get, uh, 10 messages and it's, it's, it is, it is quite, um, um, I mean, my, um, decision about that is, is, is to, have my, uh, my five. So every quarter I define, I define five goals for myself that I want to achieve. And, uh, if one of these messages is not serving this goal, I don't answer anymore. I'm just, I'm just focusing on my goals. I, I don't leave the others deciding of how I'm going to use my time. I'm using my time to reach the goals I want to reach. Uh, so mm. I'm, I became impolite by not uh, answering all those messages. I like it. Yeah, I like that. The other, the other practice I'm uh, experimenting with is this idea of until midday, no meetings and, and no, uh, no email, no responding to messages. So, so from, so from midday every day, I do, I do nothing but focus on whatever it is I need to do deep work on. And then I, I kind of get into reactive mode only from midday onwards. Yeah, exactly. Reactive mode between proactive mode, but it's so easy to be in reactive mode. Because it's, uh, it's fun. It's nice. Yeah? Yeah. You have people contacting you. You can answer them. It's, uh, you feel social extra, but at the end of the day, what's, what's left? Yeah. Yeah. The other thing you, well, in fact, you mentioned it earlier was, uh, the fact that you have a coach. So I thought we might, we might touch into that a little bit. This idea of, uh, this, this emerging idea of the manager as coach or the leader as coach, uh, well, let's start with when, when did you first start getting a uh, coached yourself? What's, what's your experience there? Well, I, um, uh, it's a good question. It's quite long ago. Um, I, I believe that the coach, um, has the, the distance you don't have. So I always, Take the, the, the metaphor, the image of, of someone cycling, you know, someone cycling on a racing bike and, uh, the coach is in the car next to him. So the coach is not cycling, he's in the car, but he's telling him, Hey, uh, you should, uh, raise your shoulders or you should, uh, hire your saddle or you should, uh, use another gear. So there is someone outside looking at what you do and not being at stake as you are. Uh, and this, this outsider, uh, will see things you don't see. So uh, a coach, I believe a coach has the, the great, um, impact to, um, help you to, um, adapt, uh, to, uh, to a new environment, for example. And the good coaches, they do it only by asking you questions and make, making you realize, I mean, giving yourself your own answer. So a coach brings you no answer. solutions. So a bit contrary to what I said, maybe my example has its limits, but the, the, the guy in the car should say, uh, what do you think about the position of your shoulders instead of uh, raise your, your shoulders? 
so a, a good coach and a good coach I am very happy of the coach I work with uh, is only questioning me and is only uh, putting me some questions that are challenging questions uh, creating a mirror effect and uh, helping me to find the answers myself um, so it's and and this is this is um so to answer your question when did i start i started uh, to go more into coaching when i realized that um i was uh i was burning much too much energy uh in uh in some topics where, where um i was uh, a bit losing myself in some specific areas um and when I was risking a burnout, in fact, so uh, I was I was um, too much uh, involved in some topics, uh, not enough distance from those topics, uh, and um, getting uh, getting uh, I would say um, uh, to to make it very concrete. When someone when someone's drive is to kill a to do list to make sure that all the things in the to-do list are the boxes are ticked this is for me the the biggest warning that this person is not in control anymore this person is in surviving mode uh, and this is the best moment to have a coach and this is what happened to me so i was at a stage that my only drive was to kill this to-do list which is a never-ending to-do list because every time you do something uh, there's something fine so if, if this is your only drive you don't have Overview anymore. You don't have altitude. You're only into your task. I need to, I need to do no, no meetings. I need to kill those tasks. And this is a strong warning to say, well, this person, uh, is losing sight and this person needs to be, get a bit out of, uh, uh, his, uh, daily, uh, practice and have a coach helping, uh, having the right questions to, uh, to be back in, in control. Uh, and this is, so that was a trigger to me. Um, I was very much into, uh, um, I was driven by having a, an empty to-do list. That's a very, that's the wrong drive. Kind of nihilistic, right? Isn't it? Yes. Uh, okay. So you talked about the role of coaches as asking questions. What's the, yes. I suppose, what's the most powerful question a coach has asked you and, and how has that caused a shift for you? Yeah. Um, some of the questions are, um, of course, it's always open questions uh, that you get from a coach. And those questions are, um, um, are helping you to, to make the, 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 to, to make a new perspective land, uh, in yourself. Um, I had recent, for example, what, what comes recently to my mind. Um, uh, one of my coach asked me, um, what are the conversations in the organization? Do you know what are the people talking about in the organization? What are the top five conversations happening now? In your organization, I did not have the answer. I did not have the answer. So that was an eye opener that I'm uh, busy with the strategy and uh, giving the vision and the direction and the strategy. 
but when it comes to implementation of the strategy, which is a challenge we, we all have as CEOs, from strategics to, ta- to tactics, um, I uh, was missing uh, what was the concern of the people about the implementation of the strategy. Um, and this, this question is, for me, a very powerful question. What are the conversations in your organization? Can you name five main topics people are talking about at the coffee machine, at the canteen, uh, when they are um, in the Caribbean, where they're in a meeting in the Caribbean? And that's an example, I think, of a very powerful question from a, from a coach. Uh, that's one of the recent experiences I have. Right. And what did that cause you to do? <laughs> It caused me to uh, work more often in the open space and to sit in the middle of the, the teams and uh, just listen. Or lunch with the people uh, instead of lunching only with the management team, but lunch with uh, anyone in the organization. So being more uh, open to, uh, to, uh, uh, to get feedback from everyone instead of only... Um, uh, delivering the vision. Uh, it's also about listening how people uh, understand it. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's interesting. Yeah. Some of the work we do is uh, I don't is is to work with a a tool called SenseMaker. I don't know if you've come across a guy called Dave Snowden, but he has this concept of human sensors in an organization, and the idea is you collect narratives. From, from individuals in the, in the organization, you can build a picture of the conversations that are happening. And so it's, uh, it's, it's interesting that yeah, there's, uh, yeah, exactly. that, um, there's sort of technologies now emerging for, for enable, yeah. to enable people to temp, tap into exactly that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, another thing I, uh, I've, um, that comes to my mind also about coaching, um, I've worked, Two years ago, I worked a lot um, to have a leadership style uh, that is common to the whole management team. So when I, it was a, a one-year program to say, okay, as management team, uh, people need to recognize uh, a certain leadership style. So we need to align ourselves in terms of leadership style. And we have investigated uh, about 10 um, best practices in terms of leadership, the 10, 10 leadership uh, streams, so to say, um, patterns. And we have chosen for appreciative leadership. Um, and during a year with this coach, we have implemented appreciative leadership so that the all management team uh, uh, could uh, apply, of course, with their own style and personality, but could apply a leadership style that was uh, the same for everyone. Uh, one example out of that is that we have uh, agreed as management team to provide our team a safety to make mistakes. And people were uh, afraid of making mistakes before this program. Uh, and we have made, uh, created a platform, a ground, uh, so people uh, were uh, more empowered and had the room to make mistakes and to uh, be uh, allowed to make mistakes and to recognize them as positive steps 
in terms of in terms of learning process or development process. And uh, that's also a good outcome of uh, working with a coach uh, is to have someone from the outside to help you to uh, realign your management team in one direction. Okay, so across all of you. And how does it work further down the organization? So you sounds like the management team are all getting coaching. Does how does it how does it work across the organization? The coaching uh, practice uh, is something we offer to employees uh, when we see a need. Uh, so the, the way I work is that um, so far, because it's changing at the moment, but so far what, what we do is uh, we do yearly appraisals and then half-year appraisals. So every six months we sit down with our people. And um, oh, let me rewind. I will say it different. Uh, we have redefined all the job descriptions. And in the job descriptions, we have put some skills. And what we did is a 360 degree uh, for everyone, but, uh, about 300 people, based on the skills. So I have a certain uh, set of skills, about 10 per job description. So in total, in the company, there are about 50 skills in total. And then per job description, about 10 of those 50 are being taken. But the maximum list is 50. Uh, we have assessed all the people with a 360 degree on their skills, the skills they need to uh, broadcast for their job. And, uh, of course, people have assessed themselves also on those. So everyone gets the, the results. Uh, it's not, uh, it's not, uh, it's quite common that you have, uh, how your people around you, uh, your colleagues, your manager, your, your customer, etc., see how you uh, implement a uh, certain uh, skill and how yourself you perceive yourself on this skill. And of course, very often there are gaps uh, that people are over perceiving themselves or underperforming themselves. So, for example, uh, one of the skills is uh, hospitality, and people think they, are, they have a huge hospitality, but they get feedback from the friends at 60 that their uh, the perception of their hospitality is at five where they believe they're at nine. Now, the interesting thing, as again, it was with coaching. One of the interesting thing is that most of the people came uh, with their questionnaire and every manager was asked to uh, take a moment with their people to work on a development plan, a personal development plan based on the outcome of this questionnaire. So I'm an employee. I have this questionnaire. I have the results. I go to my manager. And I say to my manager, based on these results, I believe I need to develop myself there, there, and there. Guess what? Everybody came by saying, okay, I'm poor in this skill and this skill and this skill, so I want to improve myself in this skill. But before this, uh, those interviews, we agreed as management team that we will only focus on where people are good at to develop their, their good skills instead of uh, working on their uh, less strong skills because then we would have everybody average. No, we want everybody to perform where they are good at. Uh, so in all the interviews, people were very surprised because they say, no, uh, I need to improve this skill because look, my ecosystem is saying that I'm bad there. I say, no, we don't want average people. We want good people. So you have to improve where you are good at already. What? But I'm already good at Yeah, then you're going to be better. And what you're good and because you do it without realizing, you don't need a lot of energy because you're already good at. So let's go and put you as an expert in this in this field. And this is where coaching came in. 
this is where I've applied some coaching for some people to coach them to be better in where they are already good at. So that's a bit a long uh, answer to your question, Richard. Uh, what is it about coaching within your organization? Well, it's about a personal development plan of the people based on the 360, based on the validation of the management on the development on the good skills they have already. And then you provide coaching for those for those individuals who then want. Is it then optional or or, or does it have to have a card? Optional. optional, right? No, it's optional. No. no. And then the coaching starts by uh, a coaching session with the manager and the coach and the employee to define the coaching targets. What do you? No uh, involvement of the manager, and then there is a debriefing at the end of the coaching session with the the coach, the coachee and, uh, and the manager. Hmm. Yeah. But, uh, I think that's also the way it's going. I think, I think this idea that coaching just becomes part of what is provided to employees seems to be another emerging trend yes. as, as I, as I see. Yeah. Um, yeah. In fact, one interviewee recently in their company, they, they, they did away with the, the manager role completely in terms of having a line manager but people could sign up to be coaches for, for, for people okay. in the company and then employees could could pick a coach um so they take it a kind of radical nice. step but it, it it seems like you're in the same mindset of this this value on on coaching yeah An interesting and I, one of the steps also sorry to interrupt but to finish on that is that um, now i'm i'm starting a program to have uh, managers uh, having coaching skills so managing as a coach, uh, which is uh, much more, again, into questioning, into uh, reflection, into mirror, uh, instead of saying, uh, you have to do this, 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 this. No, it's uh, how would you do it different? How would you improve yourself on this matter? What uh, would you um, propose in this specific um, topic? So it's, it's much more a manager as a coach. Uh, being inspired by the by the, the skills of the coach, which are helping people to make the steps from the from themselves. Ah, and how's that? Is that he's experienced a similar resistance to the remote working there, or what's been the reaction? <laughs> no, I have good reactions uh, because we see um, the we see added value directly. Directly, you see the added value. Um, by having the by having the employees having the room to uh, propose, uh, I say to have the freedom to uh, to to reach their goals or to solve problems uh, by coaching them, uh, you will achieve more results by instead of telling them what they have to do. Uh, and as manager, we very often the tendency to say, okay, look, uh, we have to go there. So I propose that you do this, 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 this. Are you okay? Yes. yes so go do it. And it's funny to do the same exercise and after to say, well, in fact, uh, maybe you have other ideas. Yes, I would do it like this, like this, like this. And you're like, wow, this is much better than what I thought. So, uh, yeah, let's do it your way. Yeah. But very I find a way of positive response. Yeah, but I, I do think it requires a certain discipline as a, 
because I find myself going into that. If I'm stressed or I'm under pressure, I'll move into more of a directive mode. And it takes us, it's almost like a lifetime's work to keep that discipline to step back and say, no, I'm going to, I'm simply going to ask questions, allow this person to, to, to think for themselves, allow for the answer to mode. It's, it's, it's similar almost to that busyness addiction. There's almost an addiction to, to just want to get it done, right? To just, to just provide the answer. It's, it, it certainly is taking, I'm still in this process of learning that skill to be, yeah. to coach rather than manage. But don't get me wrong. What you say is also very important. Um, when you are under stress, when there is time constraint, when there is uh, the end of, uh, uh, when there is a deadline to be reached, uh, there's sometimes no room for this type of uh, leadership style. Um, let's imagine uh, uh, you're in a, in, a, in a building and the building is on fire and you will ask the people, so what do you think? Should we exit by this door or what do you propose? Uh, so please come back with a solution. Now, of course, everybody out this way, boom, no discussion. So it's the same. There are some circumstances where uh, we can't afford to have this type of leadership. So I think a leader is a chameleon, uh, which knows when to adapt, uh, which type of leadership and to move from manager, leader, coach, uh, according to the circumstances. Right. Yeah. That, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and I guess, but it requires a level of coach. Well, for some, it can require a level of coaching for oneself to develop the self-awareness to know which mode I'm in and who I'm being in the moment and catch myself to make conscious choices. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Instead of, again, as manager, being always on the same pattern, always on the same way of leading, um, there are uh, uh, different ways of leading and uh, consciously to choose the, the right one at the right moment. Yeah. One guy uh, I spoke to had uh, the, the three-month no decision challenge uh, oh. for people, which is... Uh, yeah. So to not make a single decision to only ask questions when, when people come to you, uh, looking That's for very interesting. That's to very to interesting. break the pattern, right? So that you can get yeah. a cold turkey, uh, for, for a while to then spot where, where you feel compelled to use a particular style. I, I did once a game, uh, with managers also, uh, where, uh, one of, so it's a teamwork and the manager. Uh, but the answer has to be your hands. So the manager knows the answer, but he's not allowed to touch the game. So he, he has his hands back and he has to give instructions and to help people to find, to find a way, but he can't touch it. And it's, uh, it's, it's a bit the same. Yeah. yeah. Well, I had this challenge when I crossed the Atlantic. I was four weeks without uh, being able to make any decision, uh, because there was no connection, no Wi-Fi, no, no internet. So, uh, I really, uh, appreciate it. To move from um, what we call the FOMO, uh, the fear of missing out. So uh, when you work remote, you fear missing out some uh, big happenings or information uh, in the company. This uh, this fear of missing out, I I, I've, I've, I saw it uh, coming up with my kids, uh, teenagers, uh, on social media. They have the fear of not being uh, online and not having connection. So they will miss an important thing in the conversation online. And to the fear of missing out, I oppose the joy of missing out, the JOMO, uh, <laughs> the joy of missing out. 
which gives you headspace, which gives you time, uh, distance, reflection to come back with new ideas. From FOMO to JOMO. Wow. Hashtag JOMO. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that could be the start of something, Jan. Yes, that can be. <laughs> That's brilliant. Right. Well, we know what the tag for this episode is going to be then. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's quite true though, isn't it? And so many times I've done that, you know, I've just left my phone at home or put my phone on airplane for the, you know, for the, for the afternoon, you know, and after a while that joy starts to calm. You start to get really present then. Exactly. The Jomo. That's that's what what I mean. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and the other the other thing thought that came to mind there was uh, to what extent have you managed to get this into the because uh, Econocom it's what ten thousand employees eighteen countries three billion dollar yes. revenue you you'll see of the Netherlands are you on a mission to to transfer this style to the rest of Econocom or is it, are you just doing it in a bubble how's that working we have uh, at Econocom we have um, a strong uh, intrapreneurship. Uh, so we are entrepreneurs within the group. That's how uh, we define ourselves. So every country uh, manager has uh, the uh, huge level of responsibilities because we are a stock-listed company. So uh, we have to uh, provide uh, 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 to fulfill our expectations to the market and the shareholders. Uh, of course, before that, uh, we have to satisfy our customers. That's the, the priority number one. Um, but also we have all the freedom to make it happen. So, uh, if uh, we decide to make it happen with a certain leadership, then uh, we have the freedom to make it happen. And I believe that leadership is also, uh, very connected to the uh, culture and the country you are in. Um, some practice in terms of leadership that are, um, very much present, uh, Dutch culture. Uh, could not work in Italy, Spain, or France, and vice versa. So I believe also that it's good to have room in every country uh, to have your own leadership style. It's it's uh, uh, strongly related to the the culture of the country. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. In fact, somebody made that point about agile software development and how the take-up of those practices can be to a large extent dictated by the society in which you're trying to implement them, right? It's not just about the co- company culture. Yeah. You, you should different culture. I like, I love to, uh, to have, uh, international meetings. And when you, it's about the dress code. That's very funny. You say you, you have international meetings with, uh, European people and you have a dress code, uh, casual, casual or smart casual. And you see how people arrive and you will see the Italians, you know, smart casual will be very, very smart and or with a tie and extra. And you will see the UK guys arriving with some, uh, some, uh, you know, some, uh, some uh, holes in their jeans and some uh, sneakers because for them it is smart control. And it's only this little detail says a lot about the different cultures. I, I love these, uh, uh, um, uh, gaps you have between countries and nobody's wrong. Everybody has his own interpretation. That's, that's it. Yeah. So it's the right. same for leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, final question I like to ask a lot of our guests, Jan, is um, given you've had a, some some time to dwell in the 
the nature of uh, the human condition is what what for you does it mean to be to be human hmm. i'm for me being human is um um is to have an impact uh being human is to have uh enough intelligence to uh, be able to understand the um, the impact of your actions uh and i believe that as humans uh we can choose uh a lot of the impact we have and uh we can um oversee which is a uh, uh, animal on earth that can uh, have this uh, ability um, and so being human is to take this responsibility seriously and to um, dedicate your energy and your resources uh, especially when you're a CEO because when you're a CEO you concentrate a lot of resources money time uh and how do you how do you what do you do with those resources how strong is the impact you can have with those resources so i think as every human being has the possibility to have impact um by making the right decision and overseeing the consequences uh and as a ceo i believe that i have the the luck to be one of the humans who concentrate a lot of resources so I can even have more impact with the decision I make and how to use those resources. Great. Well, thank you. All right. Well, uh, it's been what is it for to... you, being human? May I, may I return um, a question to you, Richard? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. So, so I, it's self-reflection. So this this unique ability that humans have to self-reflect, okay, for me is is to be human is to self-reflect, to uh-huh. go within, and to inquire deeply and allow to and, and allow me to go without in a constantly evolving, differentiated manner. So it's like I, I go within to go without, I, and and that ability to engage in that cycle of of reflection and renewed expression mm-hmm. for me is, is what I cherish about being human. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, yes, as I say, it's been, it's been a pleasure. So we haven't really talked about a conocon, but for people who may be interested in, in what you do, is there like a 30 second snapshot of what the company's about? Of course. We can put a link to, 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 to the website. Yeah. Econocom is, uh, has, has three main activities. So it's about IT, IT, uh, in general. And the three activities we have is the sourcing of IT, servicing of IT and financing of IT, which when you burn, when you bundle the three activities, uh, we talk about, uh, as a service for IT infrastructure. So our, um, the, the, the value we bring to our customers is to take their IT project concerning the hardware, the software, the services, and to bundle them into a subscription model. So if I have only 20 seconds, what I say is that I Netflix IT. 
So I turn IT project into a subscription model. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, for anybody out there uh, who's looking for that, then uh, you'll know where to go. All right. Good. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Enjoy the rest of your, your day. And uh, yes, yes, I will. From this co working space, and you're from home. Huh? That's the last time. Uh, exactly. You're from home. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you so okay. much, Richard. Thanks, Jan. Bye. Goodbye. Bye bye. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.